It's not, uh... United Kingdom, India, Philippines, uh, Canada, Brazil, Vietnam, Thailand, and Australia. That's kind of surprising. There's a bunch of people that buy stuff from us from Australia, but yeah. they didn't. They they barely made the top ten as far as watchership. Watchership. Yeah. That just means the people that are watching are super supporters. But look at that. 83% of the people that. that are watching are not subscribers. This is kind of a funny story about subscribers. Okay. okay. So I was talking to your brother the other day, and he's kind of, you know, Logan. And <laughs> he, that is a very apt way of describing him. He has uh, ooh, opinions. He has opinions and maybe a little pessimistic look outlook on life. A little life. jaded. A little. Right, so I'm talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I watch YouTube videos on occasion, and um, when someone would ask, hey, could you subscribe to my channel?' I'd be like, definitely not subscribing now because you ask me.' And then he said, then I saw that somebody might actually be trying to make a living off of the videos that they put on YouTube, and, and how, how much, much work? work that goes into doing this. And then he's like, "Okay, subscribe." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad we could help maybe change his outlook on at least this aspect of life a little bit. Absolutely. So uh, this morning, folks, this is episode 54. Yeah, I keep saying them and I'm getting better at uh, pulling it together. But we have a a morning uh, join us for coffee episode. And uh, we've got some really cool questions pulled together for today. Yes, and like we have mentioned before, some of our videos with Yawa, we're going to be able to be live with you, answering your questions as they roll in, and then there's going to be some weeks that we aren't available to do live Yawa, so we're going to pre-record them based on your questions on our comments on our YouTube channel. So but this week- all of them, all of them will, will go live, will premiere, will- is Be it available. Premiere? Yeah, uh, be available on YouTube at 7.30 Central Time. And if we're not live with you, we're going to try and be interacting live with you via the premiere aspect of things. So you can go on and ask questions and chit-chat and all of that stuff. So. And check in, and we'll try and uh, at least one of us be able to go back and forth and check in yep. with you as well. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, but... Like I was saying, so this one is pre-recorded. We've picked some questions from the comments on other YouTube videos of Yawa questions. So we're going to answer those today. But like I mentioned, this isn't going to be live, but it is going to premiere tomorrow, which is St. Patrick's Day. So I prepared. And he did not. So he got pinched because he's not wearing green. (laughs) Don't be showing things. I literally don't have any green on. (laughs) Not even your colorful socks? Uh, There might be a green check in there. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Definitely got pinched. So let's get started with answering some questions. This one was a really interesting question from AMJ Siegel. 
Hey, just stumbled across your channel. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've got a question. Do you use pointers exclusively for pointing or do they also point, flush, and retrieve on command? As in they point, you come up to them, then command them to flush and you shoot and then they retrieve. Well, we do less commanding of a lot of things and a little more asking for a co-op. I get what you mean. Um, the answer to that is yes. So it really kind of depends on the situation. This would be one of those that is situational. Uh, when we are hunting different things, that kind of approach to that process is taken differently. Now, through puppy development, I'm going to say in training, we put as much emphasis on stand steady, stand still as possible. And the reason for that is um, puppies it's, can get overly excited. And it's a slippery slope. It is, especially in the early stages, right? Yep. We're trying to teach you that standing still is what we want you to do. Then if we start releasing you in the early stages too soon, it can turn into, ah, I don't need dad. I'll make that decision for myself. You know, I pointed. The now next logical it. step <laughs> is to flush it. <laughs> that was fun. So um, when we hunt pheasants, so we get to hunt a majority of different, or not a majority, a variety, variety, a larger-ish variety than some, but I would say a majority of the birds that we hunt are pheasant and quail, and we hunt them very differently. Pheasants run a lot. Now, quail are starting to run more. I think it's uh, over the last 10 years, I've seen more running quail than holding quail, but um, pheasants run a lot and we will. The dogs lock up on point and that kind of slows that process down. They may be tracking and get close enough to feel like they should be stopped to point. I want them to stand there. I want them to stand there until I can kind of catch up to them within gun range. So if that bird is there, gets up. Now, we walk up on a point, we're going to move in, and I'm going to attempt to flush a little bit. Usually wild birds are getting up pretty quick. If I don't succeed at flushing a bird, I'm going to send them on. You know, okay, release them. Um, there's no special flush it up cue that we would give. No but, strike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we we just say, okay, move on. And the dog will either move up and overpressure the bird or continue tracking. That is the goal. And, and lock this up is on a, point again, and then we can continue tracking and progressing on that running bird. Yes, and it can, ends up being a, a cooperation type thing to allow, you know, because if the dog's stuck with the bird constantly, they may get way too far ahead and then end up overpressuring the bird. This kind of process slows them down a little bit. And you can also lose running birds this way, but... I think the number of birds that we get the opportunity to shoot over the dogs is better than the number of birds that get lost in this process or, of or tracking. Or pushed out way too far ahead anyway that you yeah. don't have an opportunity on anyway. So. so point, send them if we can't get the bird flushed. And then absolutely, if they flush it, shoot the bird for them. Because you said, go do it. So, And then, of course, they make the retrieve after that. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, the next side of that would be quail. All right. So... In years past, and depending on where you're hunting quail, quail don't run as much depending on the species of quail. Uh, I would say blue quail, we hunt more the way that you would hunt pheasants. They run a lot. A lot of people say you can't even get coveys of blue quail pointed. 
proven that wrong. But um, the the whole process with that involves they go on point. We expect Bob Whites are more or less there, and we walk in and flush those. The other side of that is the little bit of safety caveat, okay? Quail don't typically fly as high on average as pheasants do. And if it, if I put myself in front of the dogs and then birds are taking off from me, there's a, you know, it adds a, another level of safety, if you will, for the dog in the situation. Yeah. And a lot of our dogs typically handle a lot steadier on quail just because we've done a majority of their hunt test training utilizing quail and mm-hmm. they just get the game. Um, they, they understand quail the means stand steadier. Yeah. Yep. So now, that's not something that happens overnight. That is definitely something that takes time for them to understand these situations and scenarios. And conditioning. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. But it can be done. Just kind of make that decision on what works for you and your dogs and stick with it. So good and interesting question. Mm-hmm. Next question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Check this out, folks. Oh. Did we show these off yet? Uh, maybe on the story on Instagram and Facebook, which if you guys follow us on Instagram and Facebook, go ahead and put that in the comments below. We appreciate your guys' support. Do I have this wrong You're trying again? to break it. Look at no, that I'm not trying to break it. There you go. Um, but new we coffee have mugs. new coffee mugs. This is the second edition of our handmade custom mugs with our logo on the front. These established are made by in 2012. Foreman Pottery. Foreman Pottery, um, which you can He's follow them Instagram on Instagram. Uh-huh. He's got some really cool mugs, really cool colors, and they're all handmade. So they all look very similar to this, but just have individual differences as well between color gradients and exact shape and egg exact everything but they're really cool they're um, a four they're supposed to be really close to a 14 ounce mug yeah you so can get a, a little lot of bit bigger in this thing. yeah yep but very very cool i'm excited for these they'll be up on the store very soon and i have my stay cool mug this was a gift birthday from present jessica yes um and this was all in it's, it's actually one of my favorite mugs but the the whole point of this is I'm shooting another pigeon update video today. Um, these are going to start rolling out very soon on uh, my new channel that kind of covers all of the random stuff that I do that doesn't necessarily fall into dog training, which is what this channel is about. So, so be also on the lookout for that video, which is going to be on what channel? Um, I believe we're going to call the channel Pink Gun Productions now. I did come up with that was the voted on name from with our last live week's Yawa. Yawa. Yep. And the only issue that I came up with that is that there is another channel, not channel, it's like a Twitter, Twitter account, account called Pink Gun Productions that is inactive. And I believe that there's a Facebook page, but I don't think that there is a Instagram uh, or whatever. Definitely there isn't a YouTube channel. So whatever. I think that that's what we're going with. So next question, can I do that one now? Go for it, babe. Next question from Justin and Kathy Hansen. <clears throat> Yawa questions. And since there were two names in the YouTube hashtag or whatever those are called, um, I'm going for it. So uh, this is an important thing just for those of you that don't know, when we do pull these questions, the easiest way for us to find them is putting in Yawa question. That is how we search the comments on YouTube to find questions for these. 
It says, is it okay to let my dog out in our fenced backyard for free playtime? We have a 12-year-old English setter and a 10-year-old beagle lab mutt and always have with them. Never hunted them, but we are getting a Llewellyn setter puppy in two weeks and plan on Mm. pheasant hunting. Family dog first, though, with him. I'm going through your videos and plan to use your training techniques to train him. So that was the first part of that question. And I wanted to answer this question because it's one that I've gotten a couple times recently or very similarly asked, even on Patreon. And I want to say why we don't really encourage free play, especially in like a backyard. People want to utilize, hey, I've got this fenced in backyard. It's a great Mm -hmm. place to just throw the dogs out in the afternoon or in the evening or in the morning and let them just entertain themselves and free play and burn off some of that energy. Well, there's a couple of reasons um, that I and Ethan, we don't recommend that. One is... It's mostly her. She's the fun sucker. I'm the fun sucker. I'm I'm the... Fun police, I guess. That's a joke. It's definitely me that's the fun police if there's fun police here. so. But the reasons for that is, one, the backyard is unsupervised play, so naughty things are going to occur. From, 100%. From not could, not may, I, will. Are going to occur. Yes. And it might, you know, the first week that you let them out to play, it's fine. The second week, it's fine. Usually it's more like the first 30 minutes are fine. <laughs> and then that's when you go, oh, naughtiness is occurring. Whether it's digging holes, digging mm-hmm. up and chewing up sprinkler systems, eating siding, chewing up the air conditioning hoses. I mean, we've heard horror stories. Uh, we visited somebody that their backyard had a children's um, playground equipment in it with swings. And the swings were chewed off to dog height. So there were no swings left um, because the dogs find ways to play and entertain themselves. And that's what you've sent them out there to do in in all honesty, and they're finding ways to do that. And those typically are not ways that you are going to appreciate. The difference is going to be where you said you've done this with your 10-year-old and your 12-year-old and have probably for most of their life. There are differences in breeds and working breeds, which beagles are. What was the other breed I remember? Another setter, an English setter. An English setter. So you may end up being okay. I would say on average setters are a little more low key, a little more low key on average, especially those that are ranked as Llewellyn setters. And I'm not going to start a Llewellyn fight on this, but, um, they just that they're English setters. Okay. The, um, (laughs) no Llewellyn's are typically in the more laid back category of the setter category. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you probably won't have issues, but it's when you get into some of the other versatile breeds or some of the other um, bird dog breeds or whatever, they're looking for a job, which is going to come out however they see fit if they're allowed to make that decision themselves. And the second reason that I want to throw out there is safety. And this is going to be a couple little horror stories that we've actually not experience ourselves because we don't allow free play like this, but have had clients reach out to us about, and they're scary and they're sad and it's not a good situation. So two puppies playing in the backyard while mom is getting ready in the house and mom comes out to find one of the puppies passed out and the other puppy 
have their collar wrapped around a toy that had also been out in the backyard. Now you're like, well, I don't let my dogs have toys in the backyard. Okay. But this is one of those crazy situations that could happen. And just because I've only heard of it from this one person directly, I know that those things happen even more frequently. And what had happened is they'd been playing tug with this toy. It got wrapped around one of the puppy's necks and it had got wrapped up in its collar and collar. And one of them passed out. Now they got that toy unhooked fast enough and to the vet. And there was a little bone in the neck um, or throat area broken on one of the dogs, but they both recovered it could have been way worse. It could have been a hugely traumatic situation, but it was definitely scary enough as is. And then we even had another situation, which was even sadder that somebody reached out to us uh, about that their two dogs, both of which they had gotten from us, one was a little bit smaller female, one was a bigger male, playing in the backyard like that. And um, even with some supervision, you know, they saw kind of what happened, but they weren't out there and they were allowing that free play to escalate. And one of the dog's jaws got hooked under. So the bigger dog. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. I didn't realize they were separate stories. Two different stories. Yeah. Goodness. Um, so one of their jaws, the bigger dog's jaw got hooked under the smaller female's flat collar. And then he felt trapped and scared and he freaked out and he shook his head to try and dislodge himself and release himself. And he actually snapped the other dog's neck and it was over just like that. And that is just something that just gave me goosebumps talking about Mm. it. So sad and horrible. And those situations happen more often than you'd think. So those are just two examples of why, especially if the, well, even free play like that is not okay. Fencing, right? So subpar fencing Um, and not even subpar fencing. I mean, we utilize chain link fence in our exercise pen. Now it's black coated fence, uh, prevent it hopefully from rusting out as fast. And I think it looks nicer. Um, but it's still more affordable than like privacy fence would be or anything else. And, um, that we, I mean, dogs are doing things. Maybe they see something they want to try and get over the fence or get out or whatever it is. And then again, collars getting hooked and, um, We've heard of all hanging those themselves types of basically stories. on the fence. Well, if you were out there with them and saw it happen, the likelihood of something happening to the dog is drastically smaller. But it's when it's like, oh, I came back 10 minutes later or 20 minutes later or an hour later or whatever it may be, and there's nothing late. you can do. Yeah. yeah. So. so definitely sorry to be a Debbie Downer, sorry to be the fun police. Yeah. Um, but those are the terrible, just, like, scary situations that happen. not feel good. I know. I, that's why I didn't lead off with that question, because I knew it wasn't going to be a fun one to answer. But I think it's an important one for people to understand and realize that those type of scary situations happen. And to educate as many people as possible, that's our goal for our channel, is we want to share our experiences, educate people, give them as much information to make the right choices for themselves. So... Now, the other side of it with free play specifically, was there more to that question? Um, that was the second part, which I haven't asked yet. So, but it was about the free play in the backyard. What's the second part? We haven't asked it yet. Okay. So more about free play, right? Dogs are, are working animals by nature and they thrive off of structure. Everybody hear this a ton, okay? The amount of... Is it anamorphic, anapomorphizing? Is that how you would say that? 
applying human thoughts and feelings to animals. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I think it gets referred to as humanizing or per... We call it personifying, but... Personifying, but anapromorphizing. Throw the word up here for me, please, right? Um, That would be... Applying human thoughts and traits and feelings to animals. Okay, so first of all, dogs are not humans. Now, anthropomorphism. Po-morphism. Yes. Not pro-morphism. Antho- an- anthropomorphism. Okay. And that the is... Attrib- yeah, it's defined as the attribution of human characteristics or behaviors to any other non-human entity in the environment and includes the phenomenon as diverse as attributing thoughts and emotions to both domestic and wild animals. Okay, so it says here, dressing a chihuahua as a baby or interpreting deities as humans. Those were examples. Whatever. So anyhow... We start talking about the dogs themselves as if they were, in fact, people and part of the family as another person. Now, this is where the the misunderstanding comes in, okay? Our dogs are 100% part of our family, but they are 0% people. They are 0% our children, all right? Now, I know that is a... Probably this is one of Ethan hadn't had one in a while. Ethan's uh, unpopular opinions. That's eh, not unpopular. Brutally, opinion. brutally honest, honest comments. Man. All right. So, and that's the percentage here, right? One hundred percent part of our family. Zero percent people. Zero percent our children. Now, when you can take that approach, it's easier to apply the fact that structure is important to them, and you are not, in fact. Being mean or being uh, unfair or or being any of the things that you are thinking you are being by having structure and rules and set things the dogs are allowed to do at set times, their brains thrive off of that structure. Now, they need exercise. They need mental and physical stimulation. You can't put them in a box somewhere and say, you're not a human. Ethan said so. Um, that's uh, that's neglect and that's abuse, you know, in its own form or fashion. But at the same time saying, sit here next to me at the table and here's your plate of dinner. Those are not okay things, all right? And here, go have free time. Falls into the category of lack of structure and they're going to find something to do. They want that structure. They want that job. They want that purpose. And if you are providing them in the purposes, um, you, like our dogs right now, again, we talk about this all the time. It's dog beds, right? Lay down there. Stay put. That allows you to develop quality behaviors in the house, prevent unnaughty or prevent unwanted and naughty behaviors in the house, and it provides structure. They're able to lay there and relax when the dogs have the ability to come up with those things for themselves. I want to do this. I have to do this, and you allow them to make those decisions, you end up in those situations of the others, the other things that we deal with on a regular basis are people saying, my dog hates their crate, my dog hates this, my dog hates this. Well, that's because they've been given the opportunity to make decisions for themselves 
and don't have enough structure in their life. So they're confused. Okay. Next question. Okay. So part two of that question, which this one is ending up being really long. Sorry, guys, but hopefully it's good information that you appreciate. Also, why do you use constant vibration until the dog completes the cue? I've never had vibrate, but we use sport dog and bought a new system for the puppy that has vibrate. Previously with the older dogs, we used constant stimulation, mainly for recall. If they did not listen until they turned and started to return. Then we stopped the stimulation unless they lost focus again. How will the constant vibration help me in training? Thank you. So this is a good question and it's a common misconception or mistake, if you will, to just use the vibrate until they're like headed your way and then it shuts off or, oh, I'm not going to use the vibrate unless they don't do it or um, any number of, I don't want to push the button type of instances. So when we are teaching behaviors, we use positive reinforcement first. Then when we need to make those behaviors more consistent to reinforce those behaviors, we are using negative reinforcement training. So the caller stays on the entire time until they complete the behavior because they're learning that that pressure shuts off when the behavior is completed. So if it's coming all the way to you, or if it's going all the way to their bed, that vibration needs to stay on the entire time. So vibration comes on, kennel, as soon as they're on their dog bed, vibration shuts off. That way they understand, and it's not confusing to them that I have to finish this behavior, then the vibrate shuts off. Otherwise they're like, oh, they got my attention. Oh, I'm not on the dog bed, but the vibrate shut off. So I'm going to veer off. And then it becomes this on off, on, off with the vibration game until they're finally there. Now, so there is... Here's a... This is the thing that, um, with that specifically, it, the, the big difference is timing-based, okay? Um, negative reinforcement being that the something, you know, a mild annoyance or unpleasant, and this is a... We always use a, an example of a, like an alarm clock, the alarm clock turns on and it goes off until you wake up enough to at least shut it off or get out of bed. And if you're like me, you have to put it in the other room. So you're actually up and gives your body enough time to wake up. Um, but this is another one that's interesting. It says here uh, before bad smell. So you stink, right? Behavior, you take a shower and the smell is gone. Right? So that's a, a mild annoyance of your body stinking until you shower and then you're like, huh, maybe I should shower more often. <laughs> this it stink. increases the behavior <laughs> yes. of cleanliness and showering more often. So that's an example. Now, what you're kind of hinting at slash talking about is where we move into positive punishment. And there are four quadrants of operant conditioning, and there's four quadrants for a reason. So like I said, when we're teaching a behavior, we're using positive reinforcement Then when we're trying to solidify that behavior, we're using negative reinforcement. Both reinforcement-based training is to strengthen the behavior of either recalling all the way back to us, going all the way on our bed. Then once those behaviors are solid, we can utilize positive punishment where if I give a cue and it's not completed, the collar comes on. But that is a, hey, you, if you listen the first time, you can avoid the collar completely by just complying. 
But if and you, you already know how to do and these And you already things. know how to do this and it's very well conditioned. The other side of it is with that is you're on your dog bed, you come off your dog bed, the collar comes back on until you're back on your dog bed. And that is also a form of positive punishment because we're adding or we're adding positive that collar to the situation for an unwanted behavior of them getting off their bed. And that's supposed to eliminate the behavior. So the breaking behavior of them getting off their bed constantly is weakened by the positive punishment. Absolutely. So it can get a little confusing. We do have videos out there um, on operant conditioning, but in those beginning stages, especially with your Llewellyn setter puppy that we're talking about that you're going to be getting, you're going to want to use negative reinforcement where the vibrate is on all the time until the behavior is completed in the beginning, until that's very, very well conditioned and established, which is going to take time. Think about the positive and negative more as a math problem, not... Good, and, good bad. and bad. That's the the biggest misconception I think, or the misunderstanding people have is they think positive reinforcement means good things. Well, it just means we're adding something to, or we're taking something away. Positive punishment sounds like an oxymoron. Well, no, we're adding punishment. So it's just math problem. Math. Math. Good question. This is another good question um, from R W. I have two female short hairs. And R-W. They, yeah. There's literally only two letters, letters in their name. Yeah. Or in their, in their YouTube thing. Tag, whatever cool. those are called. Uh, I have two female short hairs, and the younger one absolutely loves to retrieve so much that she will go and steal whatever the older one has to bring it to me. How does a person break this? I love your videos. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, and we appreciate you being a fan. That is a common problem. Extremely common. Super common. We get a lot of clients in that have two dogs that one of them ends up not really being excited about retrieving because the other one's constantly stealing the retrieves. Or you get fights ripping birds in half because both of them really want that retrieve and Mm -hmm. neither one of them is going to give up on it. And some of that has to do with personality. Uh, Usually the dog that's a little less driven, a little more easygoing is going to give up on that retrieve. And then the other dog that has a little more drive or just a lack of respect, I would say, if you will, because Nick's is that way. If he's going for a retrieve and another dog comes and tries to take it from him, a lot of times he'll just be like, okay, but that is not a dog that lacks drive and desire. He's just, uh, knows some of those puppies lack a little respect Mm -hmm. for this situation. And we work a lot on building the behavior of If you don't make it to the retrieve first, it is not your retrieve. And then we recall that dog away from that situation. So if there's Nick's running out, getting the retrieve and little puppy Thunder coming up and he didn't get to the retrieve first. Yeah. Thunder gets pulled off. Thunder gets pulled off. Now it is a fine line though. Okay. I will say this. We've done enough of it and... A lot of this stuff, guys, I mean, I, I'm kind of a, a learner by doer and, uh, you know, the school of hard knocks, if you will. Most of the things that we talk about is saying, don't do this because it's, it's not ideal or it's a mistake. It's speaking from experience only. Okay. So we put so much emphasis on stop stealing birds and don't do that and don't do that and don't do that to point where if the dogs all ran out to make a retrieve and it looked like 
somebody started to come back, everybody's like, oh, somebody's got it and come back and everybody <laughs> leaves it. And it's like, retreat. no, somebody go find the damn thing. Right? I so that. I, that has happened. Yes. Yeah, so it, there, there's a fine line with it, right? Everybody, you got to make sure somebody's got it. And then now if you've only got two dogs, it's not as big of an issue, but if you're hunting maybe three or four dogs together or just sometimes we'll have a with the bumper launcher bumper bumpers launchers at the pond happens, or in the yeah. backyard when we've got a pack of our dogs. Yes. That'll happen. Three or four or five dogs playing fetch. And you know, you start, um, that level of competition can help build up a dog as long as it's not too much stealing or potential stealing happening. Cause some dogs eventually are like, man, whatever. I don't care anymore. Cause I never win. Or you have to watch all those things and kind of balance it. But, um, I would say as soon as we, we have a good understanding, everybody likes to go make retrieves and all of those things. Then as soon as somebody gets it, you got to call those other dogs away to help teach them that playing that game and stealing isn't a good idea, nor is it allowed. And then once you have that established, um, it, they start to do it on their own and you have to worry less about somebody not coming back with. Because with the, the behavior has been conditioned. Um, and I would say specifically, if one dog, your dog, your older dog goes out, has the bird, has the bumper in their mouth, that's immediately when you pull your puppy off. Yep. Not giving them the opportunity to pull that bumper or that bird out of your other dog's mouth and for them to quit on it. Um, if they're both, you know, neck and neck making a retrieve and you don't know who's got it yet, that would be not the time to call your puppy off of that situation. You want to wait and see who's truly got the the retrieve before you, you make that decision. The next thing that I can say with that specifically is you kind of have to watch, like I mentioned, the, the pattern aspect or the pattern-esque of who is getting the majority of them, right? So if you see the older dog wins three or four or five times, maybe even before then, hopefully, you see two or three wins out of the old dog, pull the old dog off and let the puppy win at least once or twice. Otherwise, and that, that number is completely dependent on the individual dog. They have to win sometime. Otherwise, they're eventually going to just say, this game is stupid and I'm not, not going to play, play anymore. anymore. Or they get conditioned to the fact that they don't win and the game becomes playing, you know, grab ass with the older dog once the older dog gets it. And that's what they think the game is. And that's not okay either. Right? I mean, it is a retrieving is a retrieving game. And sometimes you'll, you'll notice those things are happening. Recognize patterns and what is happening in your session. And then change it if need be. So. Yeah. So really good question. And like I said, one that happens fairly frequently. A lot. So this is another question that kind of segues off of that. And I thought it was a good one to uh, ask as well from Travis Dixon. Yawa question. I have a four and a half month old French Brittany. She responds well to recall, kennel trained and was house trained easily. That's awesome. I've tried to work with her on retrieving but there does not seem to be any desire. I will admit that the one mistake that we made was that we did not have our home puppy proofed. My wife, daughters, and I spent a lot of time taking things like shoes and toys away from her. I have tried throwing toys and dummies in the hallway with a check cord on her and tug of war like you demonstrate in some of your videos. All she wants to do is chew on those objects and not bring them to me. Is there anything that I can do to salvage a natural retrieve? 
All right. So I try, I mean, realistically, for all of the people that are asking questions here, we have one place that is very, very, very beneficial for you to check out. If you haven't already seen it or looked or know about it, we have a community set up on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Standing Stone Kennels. And this is going to be one of those that we can give you a few tips and tricks, and I'm happy to do that here. But the specific tips and tricks that are going to apply are going to depend on exactly what your dog is doing. And that's going to involve us gathering some more information. So yes, we need to ask some questions, get some feedback. If I can see it with my own eyes, it allows me to pick up on... Yeah, it allows me and Kat to pick up on the things that you may be overlooking. And then, uh, you know, ultimately is going to allow us to help you to be successful. Um, We have a few different levels. You can send us videos of your sessions or you can just ask questions. There's that tier. Um, We'll start at the very beginning. If you like our stuff and just want to say thanks, some people ask about how to do that. You can do that there. It's a $5 tier. It's like buying us a drink on podcast night. All right. The next thing would be $10 tier. And that's where People just had some basic questions and want to move to the front of the line instead of wait for potentially your question getting answered in a Yawa, $10 a month. $25 a month allows you to send us videos, record them, upload them to YouTube, copy the link. We watch them. We say, that looks awesome. That does not. (laughs) Stop that. That's your problem. And then the next tier up, some people don't like online messaging stuff, which is what that platform has, a message, private message service that we use. Um, So you could call us. We set up a once a week where we can hash things out over the phone. And then the top tier being live. We'll actually set up a, you know, FaceTime essentially through, we utilize Google Meets primarily and That allows us to watch your session live while it's happening and say, that right there was perfect. Do it again. Stop doing that. Or nope, nope, nope. That's right. Keep doing that even though you're questioning that. And that is the most beneficial tier because it allows us to correct problems before they become problems. With proper timing. Yes. Because what is the number one most important part of dog training? Timing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second to consistency. But if you're consistently having, this is the, some no, people are like, no, consistency is, is better. Consi- if you're consistently having bad timing, it's still not good for training. <laughs> so good timing. Good timing. And then consistency. Uh-huh. So but they're more like, it's not like a this kind of thing. It's more like a this kind of thing. They need to go. It's like to- a flow chart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Timing, consistency. Timing, yeah. consistency. So. To answer your question as much as we're able to in this little situation is people make that common mistake of puppy gets something that they are not supposed to have. We take it away. Puppy gets something they're not supposed to have. We take it away and we're conditioning, hey, either you're going to play keep away with us because you know as soon as you get something, we're just going to chase you down and take it from you. Mm -hmm. Or we create a puppy that is like, oh. I better drop this as soon as mom and dad make eye contact with me because I know I'm going to get in trouble. And then they just eventually stop picking things up, which sure, that's great for your house stuff, but not necessarily great if you want a retrieving dog or a hunting dog to make retrieves for you. Yep. So our recommendations with the house things are if your dog picks one up, 
call them to you as a retrieve. Good dog. And then you make the mental note of going, I need to put these things away because my dog is interested in them. And trading them for an item of higher value than the shoe or the kid's toy that they're not supposed to have that would be a dog toy or a dog chew that they can have is also a good option so that they're not thinking they're getting in trouble and every time they're losing out on this really fun thing that they found, nope, look, you found this really fun thing, you did this awesome little retrieve, and look, here's your reward. You can either carry this around that's a toy or you can chew up this bone. And the key being, and this is the thing that's, extremely overlooked, okay? We hear all the time, I tried the trading things off and my dog doesn't care. I mean, and it's that kind of attitude, like I've tried this and it doesn't work. Well, you're missing the big picture here. It has to be something that is equal or higher value. And people are like, well, it's one of their dog toys. Well, is it one of their dog toys they get all the time? Well, that toy is boring now. It's basically useless. It's like Aiden with toys. Our son, I mean, he has plenty of toys, but they get boring. First child, right? Everybody's like, he needs things, okay? Mom is like, he needs things. Yeah, Yeah, everybody. But he has his toys, and if he gets access to them constantly, those toys become less fun and less fun and less fun. And then things that aren't toys, camera equipment that's sitting around, and uh, our phones, or anything that he doesn't get access to all the time, (laughs) he wants and he wants to grab. And then it's like, like, okay, those, those are actually not okay things for you to have. Um, and we have to play the trading game, if you will, as well as sometimes we rotate his toys where he gets these fun ones for a while. The other ones are put up. Then the boring ones that he's had for a couple of weeks that he's no longer interested in get switched out for the ones that he hasn't had access to for a while. I'm going to see if we can throw this in this week's Yawa as the, here you listen to a little bit of the audio here. <laughs> We were getting ready to set up the the podcast stuff, and Aiden wanted, he jumped up in the chair. I put headphones on him and put the mic down. I said, "All right, talk into the microphone, talk, talk, talk." So it was pretty cute. It was super cute. Um, but again, a toy that he doesn't get access to all the time seemed really entertaining and exciting. So finding that higher value toy that isn't something that they've already had that's boring. Mm-hmm. Then the next caveat that I want to throw out there is. Take most of their toys away. They're four and a half months old. At this point, we're we're struggling with retrieving. That is the go-to. Everything gets picked up. Because um, like Trix is at that point, that four and a half month old, move into five months old mark. And she gets some chew bones for when she's on her dog bed. Um, We've got our pet stages wood sticks. We've got some of our antler chews, some pork chomps that she gets that are all, you know, chewables. And then very important for teething, which is happening right now. Yes. But the rest of those fluffy, you know, crinkly toys are taken away because we want to develop good retrieving habits. And we want when we get an object out that can be utilized for retrieving it to be fun and exciting and not something that she's been playing with and entertaining herself with for all day. Correct. So take the rest of your puppy's toys away, find the one toy or the one bumper, the one thing that she's truly the most excited for. And it doesn't matter what it is. I will say I have even moved to the extent of an older pair 
like an old pair of socks rolled up because it's lightweight. And for whatever reason, that's what that specific dog likes. Now, granted, encouraging the sock aspect of things, not necessarily ideal, but it was like, that's what that dog wanted. So we incorporated that into retrieves that rolled up sock tube. And once the retrieving desire increased, we were able to switch that to other things. And then that specific sock thing went away and we could stick with bumpers or, or whatever. Yeah. And that, like he said, that rolled up sock tube, it's kind of bumper shaped, but it's much lighter, much softer, easier for them to get their mouths around. So if you got a puppy that's a little bit unsure if they can get their mouth around the more solid puppy sized bumper or a rope toy, anything like that. Um, paint make, rollers, paint people, because they're people really lightweight and they're kind of fluffy. So they, 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 they fit two categories that dogs like. Yeah. So find that one object and then use that one object during a retrieving session. We're if going you- to brainwash them. Yeah. That is it. And we have to take into account that this puppy is four and a half months old. She's already saying, eh, I don't really know if I like to retrieve. So we have to make this as exciting as possible and not overdo it. So it's not, oh, well, I'm going to do this every single day until she gets better. That's going to do the opposite where she's like, oh, this is a job. <laughs> this is not what I want to do every single day. But you pull that little fun toy out that she gets to make retrieves with once a week once every two weeks. It really depends on your puppy and what they're exhibiting. Again, where we can go back and forth on Patreon with you and say, hey, you're overdoing this or, oh, she's ready for twice a week sessions now. We can guide you. But then you do, sorry. No, no, no. The buildup of this process is, and because people are, we say these things like don't do it very often, but we don't give specifics. And I can give you some specifics, but the thing about it is you have to apply the information wrapped around the why to your dog. And that's where like every single dog is different, especially dogs that are having, I I don't want to call, I don't want to label problem dogs, but dogs that aren't following the path perfectly fall to the unknown. And the unknown is what has to be catered to that individual dog in that individual situation. So we've taken everything away. We start retrieves. You find something they want to pick up and carry around a little bit. You do one, you involve a lot of teasing. And then the next time you do that, maybe a couple days from now, depending on the dog's desire, maybe once a week, it may even be once every other week. It just depends. Now, as long as every single time you are playing with that, it's extremely exciting. The more time in between is going to build that excitement because it's like, oh crap, I remember this thing. That was awesome last time. And they're ready to, they're ready to do it again. And as you see that build, the frequency of the sessions increase, the frequency of the reps increase, the number of the reps increase, not the frequency. That would be the frequency of the session. So you do it more often for more times. And that, that was some, really good layman turns, babe. Yeah, more more often, more times. And you then have to test it at some point. Let's say you've been working on this for a month, okay? Five and a half months rolls around. Let's test this. How many can we throw? Is it three and then she loses interest? Is it 15? And then it's like panting and, and starts getting sloppy. But she still doesn't necessarily want to quit. Well, but starts getting sloppy or something, can't hold on to them the same, whatever. We have to evaluate that. And then once we've made that evaluation, then we go, okay, so 15 was the number there or 10. 
We're going to stay in that like six to seven good ones and then call it. And you're still building that and then do another month like that where we're doing a little more often, a few more reps, but still not reaching those max. It's, it's no different than building any kind of, any kind of conditioning training or whatever else you don't max out every day when you're lifting weights. I mean, that's going to hit home for some people. You do a whole bunch of weightlifting things to build up to it. And, and then you when you try max your max day. and you're like, all right, this is where I'm at. Now I keep building and building and building and then try it again down the road to see what have we gained. Just like uh, competition food eaters. They're not maxing out every single day. They work up to it. They build, you know, stomach size and all that stuff. And then the day of the competition, they're going for all they're worth and seeing what they can accomplish. Do you have experience with this? No, but I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then the last- It's like, I have no idea how competition eaters work, but I'm guessing it's simpler like that. Mr. I can eat a 32 ounce prime rib in one sitting and a piece of cheesecake and a couple beers and a salad and two baked potatoes. I didn't say I don't know how to eat. (laughs) Right. It's not a competitive eater. Okay. Finishing up this question, the check cord on the puppy is also really good. So if they try and lay down and chew on an object, we can tug, tug, tug them back to us. Not, Not that we're a necess- real constant pressure. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Not reeling them in until they get to us. But if they're trying to lay down, you're just redirecting them. Pop. Okay, they're up, they're moving, their feet are going again. Come on, puppy, puppy, puppy. They come all the way into us, then we take it. Now, if you're seeing your puppy laying down on the very first retrieve, well... We need a lot of building at that point. Mm-hmm. If you see your puppy doing three retrieves, then laying down, What's that's the, when we need to do two retrieves. What's the building though? It may just be picking that thing that the dog likes and teasing them with them. All right. So it's a little teasing, a little keep away, a little tug, a little something. Let's play, 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 play. This is exciting. We never even throw one. It's gone now. Tuck it under your arm. Hey, we're done. And they go, wow. Oh, where did it go go? and then when it comes out next time they're like oh i remember that it was so much fun and they want to do it yeah so really good question if you're still struggling we'd love to help you out on patreon and work through some of this and help your puppy get their natural retrieve back absolutely so we have time for one last question yeah i think so we'll try and keep it a little less windy but you hey um, it's good information okay at least it I is keep good telling myself that. It is good information. So from Caitlin Anthony, Yawa question. I got my first short hair about two months ago. She's four months old and we have been working a ton on obedience training. Congratulations. Yes. This is the exciting times. Recently, we have started collar conditioning to recall and her kennel dog bed. Thanks to y'all's videos. You're Excellent. welcome. She's just about ready to start her birding gunfire introduction and some more field type training perfect timing. I have been thinking about becoming a NAVDA member, but I am very intimidated. I live in Kansas, by the way. I don't really know what I'm doing as this is my first Upland dog and don't want to look stupid. I guess my question is, what should I do to get started in NAVDA and what kind of monthly training and activities would I have the opportunity to be involved with? So this is a really good question. And I think one that is something that people are intimidated about. They get their first Upland dog. They're maybe following along with some of our videos, getting a good start. But A, they need some more help. They need some grounds. They need access to birds. And 
they want to potentially join a Navda chapter or a hunt club or something like that. But like they said, this is their first bird dog, their first hunting dog, and they don't want to feel stupid or get made fun of or just be intimidated by all these people that have been doing it for years. Well, I will tell you, Navda is a very open community. They, the people there want to help you. They want you to succeed. It's not a competition, especially if you get into the testing. It's um, not this dog pitted against this dog. It's we're all competing against a standard. So every single dog in a day could get a prize one. Every single dog in a day could not get a prize one. It just depends on how they do competing against that standard. So if my dog gets a prize one, I also want your dog to get a prize one because, hey, then we can go out with a couple beers and celebrate, right? So everyone wants everyone to do well, and they are very open and willing to help. They have a lot of experience, those chapters typically, to uh, impart upon you, as well as, like I said, training grounds and access to birds if you're struggling. So joining a chapter may sound intimidating, but you go to your first training day, you're going to network with people, you're going to meet other people with their four and a half month old puppies that are ready to do the same things you are, and then you guys are going to have successes together, and you're both going to be like, this was awesome. Um, So finding a chapter, highly recommend. Now you said you're in Kansas. Kansas isn't a big state, but there are different areas of Kansas. So depending on exactly where you are in Kansas would probably dictate which chapter is honestly closer to you. Um, The Heartland chapter is actually in Nebraska, but it is not too far um, if you are on the north northeast area because it's close to Lincoln. North central, northeast-ish. You're probably within a couple hours at the most. Yeah, but then if you're in like the Kansas City (laughs) area, um, the Mocan chapter would be your option because it's the Missouri-Kansas chapter. Um, And it's kind of most of their testing happens and training happens right along that border, whether they're just over into Missouri, depending on their testing grounds, or just into Kansas, depending on the testing grounds. And it does seem to rotate um, back and forth where they're having access to those training grounds. If you're on the west side of the state, you're probably already used to the fact that you're a long way from everything. And you're going to have to drive no matter what, um, no matter where you're at. Maybe closer to go to one of the Colorado chapters. I mean, depending depending. on exactly where you are in um, Kansas. So keep those things in mind. Now you're asking what to necessarily expect from the chapters. That's all kind of up to the chapters. Um, Some of the chapters are a lot more active, have a lot more training days, have a lot more tests that they put on. And some chapters don't have as much going on because they lack volunteers or the people that are members are just really, really busy. And so they can only do, you know, one training day a month or one training day in the spring and one training day in the fall. And then some of the other chapters are like, they train every other weekend. So each chapter is going to be different. The biggest thing that I can caution you on is, and recommend to you all at the same time is one, the caution aspect of it. Do not go expecting to work your dog and go home. That is the biggest way to get tabooed or blacklisted blacklisted, if you will from a chapter go planning on spending the entire day at the training day and learn volunteer to help what can I do can I help set birds can I help do this can I help do that you're gonna make friends really quick and they'll be like oh you have a puppy let's work through some of those things and now I will help you it is a give and take. It is a give and take. It is a collective. It is a teamwork type effort. And if you aren't being part of the team, nobody there's going to want to help you. So, 
Or they'll help you a few times, and then they're going to realize, oh, yeah, that's the person that comes out, runs their dog, and doesn't do anything to help any of the other chapter members, and it's going to create some bitterness. Um, so definitely. There's a lot of stuff there that takes a lot of setup. I mean, even if it's just somebody, you got to learn how to load wingers because somebody's working toward uh, utility prep or the invitational or something, something that takes lots of setup. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of setup to do some of those type of things. Drills, and yeah. You can't, if you're trying to do it with one person, it's very difficult because it takes so much time. But if you've got a big group of people and you got somebody there manning the winger and I mean, all of those things make life easier. So yeah. So volunteer as well as like Ethan mentioned, you're going to learn a lot jumping in and learning how to set birds or helping pull flight feathers to do some tracking or loading wingers, all of those things, they're going to give you a lot of experience, um, Absolutely. which will be awesome that you can take and utilize that information on your own personal training day. If you have your own grounds or access to your own birds that you can um, work on a day that isn't a chapter training day. Absolutely. And then um, just one other thing. Also remember, there's going to be people there that um, this is their first bird dog or, you know, they've only trained one dog before. So what worked for their dog? in that specific situation might not work for all dogs. Um, that would be the one thing that I would uh, say as a, a caution, if you will, to the people that are here. If you want to follow our program, which is probably why you're watching this, or somebody else's program or whatever, you're going to hear discrepancies, okay? You ask 10 dog trainers, you ask 100 dog trainers, you ask 100 dog training individuals, you're going to get 100 different answers. There's very little standard. And when you aren't talking specifically to a professional, the, you know, tunnel vision approach to the situation is based off of their experiences. Well, you open up, uh, you know, cat and our experience level, there's drastically less tunnel vision here and we can see the big picture in a majority of situations. So don't get into a, you know, I mean, it worked for them and heck it might work for your dog. Cat and I are always about if you got the results you were looking for, it was probably right for that dog. So keep those things in mind. But also keep in mind, hey, if this didn't work for my puppy, it doesn't mean your puppy's not going to make it or they're not going to figure this out. It just means that... May need a different approach. Might, might need to try a different technique. Yeah. So um, definitely. Also, if you are in the Kansas area and you're close to us, definitely hit us up. Uh, we'd love to have you out for a consult, work through some things with your puppy as well. We are open and available for that. Folks, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm one swallow away from out of coffee. Swallow, I am out of coffee and uh, we're out of time. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being with us here. Um, we are going to be live next week. We're being live next week. We will be live next week. So that uh, means we won't be pulling questions here. We'll pull them from the actual 7.30 central time. Live stream. On what's the date? Pull that up for us real quick. Yeah. The 24th. 24th is live, folks. We'll post a couple announcements as we go, but um, we appreciate you being with here. We appreciate you being fans. I am the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. We'll see you in the next video.